But we are in the sixth week of our series, A Meal with Jesus. So we've been talking about this ever since we got finished with Easter. And so we've been looking, walking through this book together. And so I'd encourage you, it's on our Next Steps page on our website or on your app. If you want to read the book and just have more in-depth kind of thoughts and discussions about this, you can um, buy that book. It's a short read. I read it in like three hours and 45 minutes. And for me, that's really good. And so it's, you could probably read it in two, I imagine. So it's just a really good book. It helps you think, and it just makes you sit and wonder um, just about your life and how you share your lives with other people just the way that Jesus did. And so we've been talking about that. We've been talking about who Jesus ate with, who he associated with, how he loved people. And just one of the things that I just keep coming back to is that I'm just challenged by the way that Jesus loved. And, and just this thought of that Jesus was crucified and killed because of the people that he ate and associated himself with. And when you just look at the story of Jesus and you look at that aspect, it's incredible to see just the love that Jesus and the depth of that. But before we kind of get into the story that we're going to be reading today, I kind of want to do a deep dive into the role that food has with our memories and just our thoughts. And so I want you to think about the way that food and your memory are connected in your brain for you personally. Have you ever eaten something and it is just one of those moments like from TV where there's this just flashback or just you, you smell something or you taste something and instantly there's just this like it either might take you back to your youth or a good memory in your past or maybe even a bad memory in your past where it's like something, maybe you got sick on something before and then it's just you can't even walk near that food again because it just makes you just want to hurl. But that's the power that food has with our brains, is it connects to our brains in such a specific and special way that when we eat, our minds are automatically oftentimes taken to another place. And so this might be a reason why we eat certain foods sometimes, where you might have a favorite meal, and so you go to different places to see who can have, like, make that meal the best. Or you had a good memory once in, in Europe, and you ate authentic food there, and so then where you live, you walk around, you go to places that can make that food almost in the same way, because it brings that nostalgia, it brings that memory of just having a good time, like if you're in Europe, or Hawaii, or just all these places, or maybe Seattle downtown Seattle, where there's just so many different things. And so there's two aspects when we're talking about flavor that connects with our memory. We got the tongue. The tongue is the first, like, receptor. And it can do, like, kind of taste things in five different categories. You have salty, sweet, sour, bitter, and umami. And I didn't know what umami was. I had to look it up. And it's actually, like, that savory kind of, like, stuff you get from steak or just those, like, probably oil and fats. <laughs> it's, like, it's just a funny word. Uh, it's just umami. It's like, okay, that's interesting. But then you also have your nose and your nasal cavity. And so you have your tongue that like um, interprets taste, but then you have your nasal and your nose and your nasal passage that like really takes in the smells. And so when you put these together, it creates flavor. And so one thing I did is I went to brainfacts.org, and this is a cool thing just to talk to the depth of your, like, nasal passage and what you smell. It says this, the human 
olfactory system has more than 12 million smell receptors located throughout the nose and nasal cavity. These receptors collect odor molecules from the air and send electrical signals to a small structure in the brain called the olfactory bulb to be processed. Humans have 450 different types of smell receptors, each of which can detect slightly different smell molecules. And so it's the mixing of this taste and of this smell that creates the flavor that we get when we eat food. And it's just cool, so cool to think that like this is what happens when we eat every single time. Whether you wake up in the morning and you're eating your favorite cereal, Lucky Charms, or you're eating your favorite lunch, whatever, it's like a sandwich from CJ's Place in Bonnie Lake, or if it's your favorite dinner, I don't know if it's like Red Robin or Thai food or whatever, but each and every time you taste those things, your smell and your flavor sensors on your tongue are working together to create memories. And then this is like vitally important with the story that we're going to read today. But I want you to think of some specific examples because it's going to be important to think of this from your perspective in your life. What are some foods you've eaten that just take you back to another time or another place? For me, I thought of three examples that are kind of like huge things in my life. The first is Swedish meatballs. Each and every Christmas Eve, my family, we would drive to Montana, and on Christmas Eve, it's not a Christmas morning thing. You have to be very particular about this. It's Christmas Eve. My grandpa would make this huge batch of Swedish meatballs, family recipe, family secret, and we'd eat together on Christmas Eve. And so it's just incredible that each and every Christmas Eve, we were eating this. And so it's funny because that became a habit, a tradition. And so you have this smell plus taste equals flavor. But then you add another layer of tradition. And it just creates these memories that are instantly there. No matter, even I could just hear the words Swedish meatballs. I can go to Ikea, which aren't real Swedish meatballs. But I still have those memories because it's so ingrained in my head that this is what I'm doing. I'm eating Swedish meatballs, so it takes me almost to the Christmas table on Christmas Eve when I'm a kid and I'm in my grandpa's house and we're gathered together as a family. It just brings those warm memories. On the flip side, there's also nachos in my life. And so I'm going to be really specific here. It's round tortilla chips with nasty fake queso cheese. Now, the story behind this is that I was on our honeymoon about five days in, and we're in Mexico, and let's just say nachos and then Montezuma's revenge after that. I'm just as sick as a dog for about the next 24 to 36 hours on my honeymoon, (sighs) introducing my wife to brand new smells she'd never smelled before, and it was just terrible. And so from then on, it's like that type of nachos. Now, I've been able to eat if different nachos, but they got to have like sour cream, salsa, some like pork on top, just anything to drown out any fake queso smell. But that's the same thing. Anytime I have that smell or taste that, it like takes me back to a time I do not want to remember that specific 24 to 36 hours of my life. Really embarrassing when you're just getting to know your wife. But our relationship grew a lot that day. And then finally, there's a thing called a hot fudge marshmallow nut whip. And so maybe you don't know what this is. It's a thing you can get at Dairy Queens in Montana. 
It's like very specific. I don't think you can go to the Dairy Queens here and get it. But this is like a family thing for us because my mom, she always loved a hot fudge marshmallow nut whip every time we went to Montana. And so the nostalgia comes in. It's the same thing with that tradition aspect, that you go somewhere, you taste this, you smell this, and you instantly remember a time. And so the cool thing about this is, well, it's not cool, but last summer, uh, my mom passed away, actually. And so we drove to Montana to celebrate her life with my family and our loved ones. And so me and my sisters and my dad and my wife, we were like, we should go to like Dairy Queen because mom really loved it. So we just told people. And so and anyway, like this picture kind of just shows, this is my whole family that was there. And it's just like, they weren't even invited really. We kind of just like, hey, we're going here. And everybody else wanted to do that. And so it's like that tradition being passed on to other people. And it was really funny because no one really knows what a hot fudge marshmallow nut whip is when you go there. Like the people, you got to kind of tell them what it is. And then this lady was out there like, everyone's buying these nut whips. Is this like a special thing? And so I was like, I had to explain to her, you know, my mom just passed away. And so then it was just this like really awkward but good conversation in the middle of a Dairy Queen parking lot. And so it just shows you the cool things that happens when we eat food, when we create memories, and we let those things take root in our minds. And so um, I just want you to imagine if you're at the end of your life and you like knew that, you know, like I have a week or a month to live, how cool would it be to gather your friends and your family and your loved ones? into a room and just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make a meal or we're going to eat something together that I'm picking so that we can all share this together. Like, how cool would that be to do that? And then you could say, like, during the meal, you know, like, you invite all your friends, loved ones, whoever it is, and during the meal, you just stopped and said, you know what? I wanted to eat this food specifically because I want you, (laughs) the next time you eat this food, to do this and remember me. Like, that would just be a cool moment. If you had the opportunity to do that, that would be an awesome way to impart that on your friends, on your families, for them to continually remember you. And so, such a gift that would be to eat that food with that person, to, like, have those connections, to let the flavor hit your tongue and hit your nasal passage, and then to hear them say, do this in remembrance of me. And the cool thing about all of this is this is what Jesus did the night that he was crucified. And so this is the story that we're talking about today in Luke 22, 7 through 20. We're going to read this story where Jesus actually does this. He connects a flavor. He connects a smell. He connects a meal to the remembrance of him. And it's totally awesome and beautiful. And so we're going to read this together. It's Luke 22, 7 through through 20. Now the festival of unleavened bread had bread arrived. When the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him at the house he enters. Say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. They went off to the city and found everything just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. 
When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, in agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. And so this is the climax, really, of what we're talking about when we're talking about a meal with Jesus. No meal in history has probably had the, the same significance, the same impact, and the more meaning than this meal had in this moment when Jesus is saying, do this in remembrance of me. And so they gather together for what's called the Passover meal. And so basically, this is a Jewish festival that each and every year the Jews come together to do this, to have this Passover meal. And so what would it consist of? It would consist of a roasted lamb, unleavened unleavened bread, bitter herbs, some minor condiments, four cups of wine served at specific times during the meal. Each and every one of these aspects is just totally full of significance and of memory and of remembrance of the time that God delivered the Jews out of Egypt. And so the disciples went up to this room knowing that they were going to celebrate one thing, thinking that they're going to remember one thing, but they end up leaving that place that night knowing and remembering something, something completely different. And their lives are changed from it. And this is what we're talking about today. The big idea today is that participation in the Last Supper Let's us remember Jesus. And so spoiler alert for the end of our service today, we're going to take communion together. So like just have that in mind as like what we're doing and why we're talking about this so specifically. But the big idea today is that participation, the whole point of doing communion together is that we get to remember Jesus. And so this scene is known as the Last Supper. Other Christians might call it the Eucharist, and that's just another Greek word for Thanksgiving, and we call this communion. And so basically it's the Holy Communion. It's like us being with God and just remembering His sacrifice. 1 Corinthians 10, 16 is not on the screen, but it says this, when we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And so we take communion, when we take communion, the question is, are we literally eating the body? Are we literally drinking the blood of Jesus? And the answer is no, but some believe this. And so it's important to know that some people in the world of Christian people, they, they think that this actually happens like when it's prayed over, when it's consecrated, that it actually turns into the body and the blood of Jesus. But if you look at the Aramaic expressions that these are things saying, Jesus didn't actually say, this is my body. He said, this bread, my body, this cup, my blood. And then so there's no is. He's not saying like, this is my body, but it's all about symbolism. It's all about creating the memory. It's about partaking in the meal and making that memory and making that connection. And so 
1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, Paul talks about instructions on how to take this. And so this is what he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. And so this is important. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so we do two things when we take communion together. We first remember about Jesus' sacrifice, but then we announce it. It's like, it's a proclamation of who Jesus is, and that he's worthy of praise, that he's worthy to follow, that it's actually worthy of him that we do this by remembering him, that he's worthy of memorial. And so, what are some things that we remember when we take communion? A lot of this remembering we have already talked about this series together. We're going to be talking about some things, but what do we remember when we do this? The first thought today is that communion reminds us of God's promise. Communion reminds us of God's promise. A quote from the book says, When we recapture the Lord's Supper as a feast of friends, oops, sorry, communion is a reminder to us, but it may also be a reminder to God. The words are so, we so often hear, do this in remembrance of me, are literally do this for my memorial. Just as the rainbow in the covenant with Noah was given, not to remind us of God's love, but to remind God of his promises. So perhaps the bread and wine are to remind God of his new covenant. When God remembers his covenant, it doesn't mean he's previously forgotten, but that he's about to act in keeping with his covenant. The Lord's Supper is a call to God to act in keeping with his covenant, forgiving us, accepting us, and welcoming us to the table through the finished work of Christ. Jesus was at that table that night with his disciples, and he's saying, do this in remembrance of me, because I am not going to revoke on this promise that I'm here to save everyone, I'm here to love everyone, if you just follow me. And so when we take communion together, we're literally thinking about the promise of God, that Jesus is who he said he was, that he actually is going to forgive us, that he actually is preparing a place for us, that the kingdom of God is coming. When we take communion together, that's what we're understanding. That's what we're knowing is we're putting our faith in the promise of God that he sent Jesus for us. For us for our sins, to take them away from us. So each time we take the bread and juice together, we have the opportunity to remember that God is faithful to forgive us when we ask. And that's a vital part of what it means to take communion. The second thought is that communion reminds us that we belong to community. Communion together is completely different than if we were just to have a piece of bread and a cup of juice at our homes by ourselves, in our kitchen. It's completely different if we did that versus being here together and taking the way we do it here at Open Life is we take a piece of bread, we dip it in the juice, and then we eat it. But when we're in community, when we are together, that means something different than if we're alone 
just doing it by ourselves. And I'm not saying that that's bad. There's times when it's important to just focus and just understand your relationship with Jesus and say, you know what, I need this just to recalibrate my life to Jesus. But when we do it together, that's when it like takes this extra meaning, this extra like tradition. Kind of like when I'm talking about my family, part of the thing that makes it a memory of eating Swedish meatballs is that I did it with other people. Part of the significance of taking communion is that we get to do it with other people. Verse Corinthians 10, 17, the second verse, it's also not on the screen, but it says, and though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. And what's cool today is that the bread that we're going to be eating from was all cut from the same piece of bread. It was cut, it was bought at the same store, and together we're going to split it into separate little pieces, but that is once one body. And so there's unity that comes from taking communion together. And what a cool day to be together as Open Life Sumner and Open Life Bonnie Lake together because we're taking communion together and maybe some of you are in this room and you see a new face that you've never seen before, but yet we get to know that we are united in Christ and one of those things that helps us show us that and helps us to like take meaning from that is that we're going to take communion together at the end of our service. And this also takes on other meaning when we talk about other Christians, whether it's in this city, in this state, in this country, in this world, wherever there are people that are offering praise to Jesus and proclaiming him amongst people that don't know him, and they take communion until we're united with them as well. And so it's this beautiful picture of Jesus saying, this is my body, I'm giving it to you, now do this remembrance of me, and from then on, you're all united under me as your leader, as the one you worship. A quote from the book is that they, this shared activity of her taking of the one loaf forms us afresh as one body. It reinforces our identity as a community shaped by the cross. So there's going to be times when our brothers and sisters in Jesus just annoy us. They just bother us and we're just, we can't even imagine living with them. There was this time when I was in college, I was like, a really big loser, and I was on ASB leader, and so I was like the treasurer, and so I was actually um, running to be president, and I, let's just be honest, I didn't get along with the guy that was running against me, and so then there was also this thing going around campus where there was this like fake, we have a newspaper at our campus, but there was a fake newspaper, and so they started writing stuff that really offended other people, in our community. And so there are friends of mine who were in this paper. And so I, I was just mad, like really just feeling like, like I hate this place. I can't stand these people that I'm with. I'm really bothered by people. And so then we were on a trip during her spring break. We were like, I was in choir, choir nerd. And we were singing and um, we were just singing together. And there's this time of prayer before the concert, and I had to do the devotional for the whole group. So, like, there's a hundred people in this choir, and I'm doing the devotional just to kind of, like, challenge people, and I just remember right before we left, I'm like, you know what? There's people that are in this choir that really bug me, that really annoy me, but we're getting ready to do something. We're ready to proclaim Jesus, and I think it's time to just, like, 
bring unity or kind of get focused, set our differences aside and do this. And I remember I went to the store, <laughs> grabbed a piece of bread and a bottle of juice, and I cut it on the bus on the way up, and I just said, you know what, we're going to take communion together as a group, because we're getting ready to, like, proclaim Jesus, and it's going to be pretty hypocritical if we're doing that, singing these songs, and we can't even look or get through the concert together. And I just remember it was just this practical moment of taking communion and understanding what unity is and how we can come into that. And so today, when we take communion, each time that we take the bread and the juice together, we have the opportunity to remember that we are joined together with all those that partake as well. No matter the differences, no matter what we might think be, something might be rubbing us the wrong way, we are together as one community. So thought number three, communion reminds us of the hope we have in Christ. And so maybe you're in this place today where you feel, you know what, things are just not the way that they should be. Whether you're looking at current circumstances in our world, or maybe you're going through something in your own personal life that you just say, you know what, things are just not right. Like, I just don't know, like, how to move forward, or I'm coming up to a big decision, or there's this huge change in my life that's coming up. How do I process this? Communion reminds us that our hope is in Christ. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6 says, Therefore I, this is Paul speaking, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. And so this is kind of a verse that talks about the unity that comes from following Jesus, but it also talks about that one glorious hope for the future. So can I encourage you today that when you take communion today, it's a reminder of the hope that we have in Jesus, a hope for a time when things will be put right. A hope for a very practical time in your life when maybe things will go right for you. A hope for a time where you can know the comfort and just the knowledge of Jesus coming behind you in whatever situation that you're going through so you have hope to take a step forward. So you have hope to make that tough decision. So you can have hope to take on that life transition with everything you got to make it work for you and your family and your loved ones. Whatever you're going through, we have the hope. Each time we take the bread and the juice together, we have the opportunity to remember the hope that Jesus is who he said he was. Thought number four is communion reminds us of our dependence on God. And so when we stop and think of the sacrifice that Jesus made and we think about him raising back to life three days later, we can understand and know of our dependence, because we don't have the power to do anything like that. We don't have the power to bring salvation for ourselves. We don't have the power to make ourselves right with God. It's through Jesus' act that he did that night after he was breaking the bread and handing the juice to the disciples, he died on the cross, and that's the work of salvation. Our dependence is completely invested and only comes from Jesus. 
Nothing I do can save myself. I'm completely and utterly dependent on God for my salvation. And so the symbolism of communion shows us that Jesus' body was actually broken for us. The symbolism of drinking the cup or the way that we dip it is the symbolism that Jesus poured out his blood for us. The work isn't in putting the bread or putting the juice in your mouth. That's easy. That's how we remember. The work is what Jesus did that night to save all of humanity. That's the work. And so dependence on it for salvation oftentimes leads to dependence on God for other things. And this is called like spiritual maturity. When I learn and understand that my dependence on God for my salvation is first, if I understand that first, then my dependence on God for other things oftentimes follows. So that means I can understand that if I'm going through a rough time with my job or I'm not getting paid enough or things aren't going right with my health, my dependence on God is still going to hold strong when I'm going through that situation. It's when we can know my dependence is on God and not just life after death that we can have the hope and knowledge that our dependence is on God for true life right here and right now. That's the power of when we remember communion in this moment later on, is that that's the power that comes from that, that we can actually relate it to our very life right here, right now. We have the opportunity to remember that our life is not our own, and that God gives us every good thing. And so finally, thought five is that communion reminds us to be humble. We are afforded the opportunity to examine ourselves and identify the areas in our life that we need to work on each time that we take communion. We have the opportunity to do this by just being willing to say, God, I want you to work in my life. And so we read in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven through 30. So Paul's like in chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, he's talking about how to take it, what communion means. And then in chapter 11, he gives some critiques to the people that he's writing to. And so this is one very crucial critique when we're talking about taking communion together. This is what Paul says. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. And so I love that Paul is so practical here, that he's saying before communion, figure out if there's anything going on in your life that you need to work on, that you need to deal with. Is there anything that's rustling around in your brain? Is there anything that's like that you're holding on to in your heart that you need to give to God? And Paul says, before you take communion, before you do that act of remembering Jesus, you need to figure that stuff out, that you need to deal with that, that you need to ask for forgiveness if you need it. And so this is powerful stuff. When we're reminded to be humble, we also have the opportunity to, to look for and care for the needs of others. And so when I'm humble enough to look at myself and deal with the things that I need to deal with, then we can also understand the hurt and the brokenness of other people and then we can learn and know how to serve them but it's hard to serve people to get into their lives and understand their situation when we're dealing with stuff of our own 
when we're preoccupied with sin in our life, when we're preoccupied with trying to hide stuff in our lives, that's when the enemy takes over and distracts you from what you really should be doing. And so communion is an opportunity to humble ourselves before Jesus and just say, God, I need forgiveness in some areas of my life. Will you forgive me? And so as we pray today and as we uh, take communion, take a time before we do this, just say, God, is there anything in my life that I need to re-examine? Is there anything in my life that I need to give to you before I go and let the bread touch my tongue, let the juice touch my tongue as those memories flood my brain? Do I need to get rid of anything so I can fully focus on you? Remember, each time that we take the bread and juice together, we have the opportunity to remember that Jesus sacrificed himself for us and we get to participate in self-sacrificial love as well for others. And so remember, the communion has two functions. The first is that we remember Jesus and that's all we've been talking about today is remembering Jesus. But the second thing is, is it's announcing Jesus. And so this is where like our life comes into play. Like when we leave this place, what does communion actually do for when we take a step out on that walkway and get into our cars and we walk into our homes and we have to love our families or love our neighbors or go into our jobs on Monday or Tuesday this week? What does the act of taking that bread and doing that change for those aspects of our lives? A quote in the book, and this is like the most crucial quote of the day. So if you're checked out a little bit, check back in right now and just listen to this because it's so like beautiful when we're talking about what communion can mean for our lives. Is that says this, in a busy culture with people desperate to succeed, we practice in communion resting on the finished work of Christ. In a fragmented culture that is radically individualistic, we practice in communion belonging to one another. In a dissatisfied culture of constant striving, we practice in communion receiving this world with joy as a gift from God. In a narcissistic culture of self-fulfillment, we practice in communion joyous self-denial and service. In a proud culture of self-promotion, we practice in communion humility and generosity. All these practices are habit-forming and so seep into the rest of our lives. Everything we've talked about today is habit-forming. When we remember about the promise of God, when we remember that we're one community, when we remember our hope that we have for the future in Jesus, when we remember our dependence on God, and when we remember to be humble before Christ, that's habit-forming. And today the action point is simple. It says, let communion change the way you live with God and others. Maybe today can be the day where you actually savor dipping that bread into that juice and letting it touch your tongue in a different way so you can actually taste the elements so that maybe you can smell it. Now, I'm not encouraging you to like put your nose down to the bread and you like put your nose down to the cup. But as you taste, let the flavor, let the, just the act of letting that stuff go through your teeth and your tongue to create memories of a time. Maybe 
go back and remember the first time you took communion. Maybe you remember the first time that you chose to follow Jesus and what your life has meant since. And so for some of you today, maybe today is the first day that you'll choose to follow Jesus. Maybe today will be the first time that you take communion in a meaningful way where you say, you know what, I'm going to examine myself first before I do this. And then from then on, every time you take communion, maybe there will be that flashback to this moment right now in this place. But today, let's make this a beautiful moment where we just sit and worship and we just say, God, work in me how you want to. So I'm going to pray today and I'm going to ask if you've never chosen to follow Jesus, that you today could be the day. And if it's not, it's not. You can make that decision. But when we're talking about communion, Paul's pretty clear and says, as followers of Jesus, we do this. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, it's okay if you don't take communion. It's actually instructed that you don't. And so this isn't to separate you or to make you feel weird or just left out. But this is just to say, this is such a meaningful moment where Jesus was gathered around with people and he broke the bread, handed the cup to people who are following him and said, do this in remembrance of me. And we remember when we're in relationship with him. So I'm going to pray today. God, we come before you today and I just pray right now, God, if there's anyone in here that wants to follow you, I pray that they would make that decision right now and just pray this prayer. God, I want to follow you and I choose to offer you the rest of my life and I'm going to learn and follow you and what that means as moving forward. God, I want to make my life just in line with who you are. I accept your love for me. I accept your forgiveness and I'm excited for my life moving forward. But God, for everyone else that's here, God, who are followers of you, I pray, Lord, that you would work in our hearts this moment right now, God. We pray over these elements, the bread and the juice today, God. I pray, Lord, that when we dip the bread into the cup, God, that we would hear and know from you the things that we need to remember, the things that we need to dwell on. Maybe we need to dwell on your promise for us. Maybe we need to understand that we are one community. Maybe we need to know we have hope for the future. God, if if we need to understand our dependence on you and if we need to humble ourselves, God, I pray that we would do that in this moment. That today's communion would be different and be a start to just a life of honoring and cherishing the moments when we can come together to do this and remember you. God, we imagine being there at that table with you where you took the bread. You said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, we imagine being there at the table, you handing the cup to us, saying, this is my blood poured out for you a new covenant I bring to you, a new life I bring to you. Let us remember that today. In your name we pray, amen.